Well, hi everyone. Great to be with you here today uh, with Auburn Community Church. Uh, I gotta let you know that first of all, I'm so thankful to Miles for inviting me to be here. Miles and I have been good friends for many years and, and partners in the gospel. And he has spoken into my life and we have been so blessed as a family. In fact, I say that because you as a church have been a great blessing to us as well. We've tuned into you a number of times during lockdown and have just been uh, so blessed by the service to hear what the Lord is doing in your midst has just been an endless excitement for us as a family. So thank you and thank you, thank you, Miles. Thank you, church, for giving me the opportunity today of weaving our stories together. Well, Miles asked me to speak on any subject that would excite me. And I want to say to you that the subject I've got to talk to you about today is very exciting to me. It's the subject of change. You know, one of the reasons why this excites me is that our God is a God of change. There are things that are wrong in the world. We don't have to look too far to see that. There are things that are wrong in our lives. And our God is about change. He is about fixing things up. You know, the first thing that he does is he takes the, the legal problem that we have, the things, the ways that we have broken his law, and he deals with it. He rubs them out, he screws, screws them up and throws them away. Jesus comes down, lives the perfect life, dies the perfect death for our sins. Done, finished, buried. Then... What happens? Jesus doesn't just stay dead. He comes back from the dead and he's alive again. He deals with our second massive problem. Our second massive problem is life and death. So with those two huge problems dealt with, what does God do? He says, off you go. Now you're on your own. No, absolutely not. Just the same way as God was involved in those big problems, he's involved in the entire process of change of changing us, of continually changing us into the image of Christ. See, when Jesus dies and rises from the dead, he doesn't just go straight from the grave up into heaven as if to say, don't wanna go near the earth. That's not a really good place to be. Rather, he goes directly back into, onto the earth as to affirm that the good creation that God had made in the first place is the new creation that he now wants to form. And guess where he is doing that new creation? He is doing that new creation in us. We, Romans 8 says, are the first fruits of the new creation. In fact, the whole creation looks around and groans longing to be like us. They're jealous of us because we are the first fruits of the new creation. So when it comes to the subject of change, it's all about God. The big things we might think and the other big things, which is about our life being transformed. Now, what that also gives is a context for us to understand change. So often when we think about change, it's presented in the world, isn't it? As being a horrible thing, as being a, like, well, there's all those nice things in the world we'd like to do called sin. And we have to put those aside as Christians. But no, what it's about is coming to trueness of life, fullness of life. Sin is those things that is destructive upon life, that destroys things and mess things up. And so what we get to do is to be fully human, fully alive, so that other people look at us and get excited and say, I want what they have. I want the joy that they have. I want the peace that they have. I want the anticipation and hope and purpose in life that they have. So the process of change is not a horrible subject. It is a very exciting subject. And the way that God changes us is through the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, all that is great. So far, so good. But where do we move from there? What I really want to add to this discussion today is the idea that the Holy Spirit doesn't just work in us individually, but the Holy Spirit works in us together, corporately. 
In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, sorry, wrong way around. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that sometimes God comforts us directly. But the moment that God comforts us directly is the moment that we are responsible to overflow that comfort to other people. See, sometimes God does things in your life and you will have faith stories in your life. But at the moment you have those faith stories, you have a responsibility to tell others those faith stories. That's our subject for today. And so my title here, which might look a bit scary at first, but is not, let me explain it to you, is Radical Sanctification, How the Holy Spirit in Others is Vital to Change in You. Now, if you are reading this and you're one of those new people who've just been baptized, praise God for you and praise God for his work in your life. I was, I was saved in my mid-teens. If I had looked at this, I might have thought, what does this word sanctification mean? Well, let me explain it to you. Sanctification simply means the process of change, God changing us. So this is radical change. How is it radical? Because it comes from God. But even more so, it's radical because it comes from God through other people, a point that we will often miss. Now, where are we going today? Well, there are three things that I want to do today. The first thing we're going to do is look at some diagrams. We're going to look at some visuals and they're going to help us to get a visual handle on what's going on here. Okay, that's good. We all love diagrams, that'll help us. The second thing we're going to do, of course, is look at the Bible. Duh, who cares what I think? It's what the Bible has to say that really counts. And so we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say on this subject so that you have some grounding and assurance that comes from God about what I'm telling you today. Now, I know that as a church, you guys often do the Bible drill where you hold the Bible up. I'm going to do it a little bit differently today. I'm going to do sort of the clock face thing because there's three big passages and two extra passages for us to look at today. So we're going to start with diagrams. We're going to look at some important passages and then we're going to have a brief break for those of you who are working in groups. You're going to have a discussion question and then we're going to get to the exciting part. We're going to get to application together. So that's what we have to look at. Now, before we go on and do anything else, though, what I want to say to you is that we have a word for today, the word of the day, right? The word that is really going to be an important word for us to take away. And it's a word that we should get excited about as Southerners because it's a word that we have and have introduced into the English language that every country and every nation should have this, this word, right? We should feel really good about this word. And it's the word y'all, right? It's a very biblical word, actually, because over and over again in the Bible, when the word you occurs, it, it should almost always be translated you all. In other words, it's always plural. We read it, don't we, as individualistically. We read, you should do this, you should do that, you should be this, you should be that. But over and over again, the Bible is saying, you all should be do doing this. And it's not just talking about you, you, and you, and you as separate individuals. It's talking about you all corporately, which is the very subject that we're talking about today. Okay, let's jump into it then. And let's talk about, first of all, the diagrams, and we're going to talk about the Bible, then application. First of all, the diagrams then. I'm going to do a little bit of heavy lifting for you here and say that there is an academic who's written on the subject of how does the Holy Spirit change us? You think, man, that's not an academic subject. That's a practical subject. True enough. So it's fantastic that this guy has written on this subject. And what he does is he spends 100 pages talking about how most people think about the Holy Spirit's transformation. And he puts it in a diagram. And then he says, but you know what? That doesn't seem to be the way Paul talks. Paul talks a different way. So he has another diagram. And I want to add my own diagram to it 
by way of the third point. So the first diagram, here's Volker Rabens in the corner here. The first diagram I might describe as being uh, like the restocking of shelves overnight in the supermarket, right? The Holy Spirit comes in and restocks the shelves. He does all kinds of things and you don't know exactly how it happened. So the Spirit here comes into the inner being of a person and he kind of permeates out, he spills out into our lives. And we don't really know how that happens, but it brings about somehow ethical change in our lives. And that pushes back against the flesh, which is the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, which is the sinful nature in Paul's mind, pushing against us living the way God would have us to live. Now, Rabin says that is the typical way that people see things. He spends 100 pages basically saying that the Holy Spirit is a, is a nobody, is a, is a night workman who works at night and you don't really know what, the, what that person's doing. You never meet them, you never know them. Now, check out the second diagram though. This is Rabin's idea and this is super exciting because it brings in relationships with God. Woo, okay. The second diagram here, it looks a little bit more complicated. It's basically the same. The ethical life is still pushing back against the flesh. You still have the individual Christian. You still have the inner Christian. But notice this. Here's the key difference. The Holy Spirit, rather than going into our hearts and stopping there, the Holy Spirit goes down into our hearts and directs us into a relationship with God the Father and God the Son and with each other. And Rabin says that this is the place that transformation takes place. These two big arrows then are going into our inner core and they happen because of the relationship that we have with others. So the Spirit of God is working in our heart to build a relationship with God. Now, he goes to several passages of Scripture that back that up. Like, for example, in Romans 8, a couple of great passages. In Romans 8, it says the Spirit cries out within our heart, Abba, Father. We know God as Father because the Spirit of God has brought that change where we can relate to Him. Now, the other passage is, of course, we don't know what to pray. We sometimes don't even know what to say to God in our relationship with God. But the Spirit of God works within us, even with groans that are too great to understand. So the transformation of the Spirit, and this gets me so excited, the transformation of the Spirit always directs us back to our relationship with God. Now, more than that, I probably said that wrong. It's not the transformation is happening with the Spirit, but the transformation itself is happening through our relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and with each other. Now, as you look at that, I'm hoping that you're getting excited. You're thinking, wow, this is amazing. This is fantastic. I just want to add one extra element to this. And it in no way undermines what, what he said. The diagram looks a little bit more complicated, but really it only has one feature that's different. Now, in this diagram here, we have, you know, not just the flesh, but Adam as a, as a person, and we have Christ as a person. But notice what I've taken out here. I've taken out one another, and I've put one another as individual people within Jesus himself. See, here's the beautiful thing. When we come together with one another, it's not just that our relationship with one another is somehow independent from our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another as we tell the faith stories and as we exercise spiritual gifts before one another, what we are really doing, get this, is becoming the body of Christ. We are united together as Christ. That's why Paul talks about the very metaphor of becoming the body of Christ. So we get to realize the presence of Christ to some degree as we come together as other Christians. Isn't that amazing? That is absolutely awesome. So why do we come to church? We come to church to be with Jesus. But our coming together is never perfect. And you can see this kind of dimming a little bit. And that's the reason why we long for His return. 
Every time we come to church, we experience something of the fullness of being with Jesus, but there's something missing and we long to be with Him and see Him and be with Him forever. So this is the relational in Jesus model that we're talking about here. Okay, well, enough of that. Let's go to the Bible. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about this. So remember, I'll stop the grunting. There's the three points, right? And there's the the double point there. The first passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And in Romans 1, 11 and 12, Paul starts out by telling the Christians that he longs to see them, that he might, as the apostle, impart to them some spiritual gift. Yeah, of course he's going to say that. He's the guy. He's the big man on campus, right? He's the boss. He's the guy who's going to come and bring them a spiritual gift. That's what they're expecting to hear. So that's the way he starts. But he quickly corrects himself to say, no, actually, I am coming to you to receive spiritual gifts from you. Isn't that amazing? He is humbling himself. He's cutting across and saying, all Christians lie on the same page exactly. Because he goes on to say, that is, what I mean, is that you and I may be encouraged together in you. I want to come into your midst. I want to be stuck into the midst of you organically in order that I might be all that I can be. Look at this. And I've translated it woodenly for myself from the Greek. It says, by the in one another faith of you and also of me. This is about my faith relationship with Jesus interacting with your faith relationship with Jesus. And together we learn more of the fullness of Jesus. Our fullness of relationship with Him takes place. And that is where transformation begins. Okay, that's our first passage. I could grab my Bible again, but I won't. Uh, Our second passage, and so when we get to application, we're going to talk about faith. Our second passage for today is found in Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. Now, Romans 12, 1 to 3, like all passages, has a context. There's a context before, there's a context after. After, guess what the context before is? The context before, to summarize it, the, the three chapters before is... God is bringing two completely different kinds of people together to make one people so they change each other. The very subject that we're talking about, Jews and Gentiles, Romans 9 to 11. And the bit after this, what's it about? Guess, it's about the body of Christ. So the very two things that we've been talking about are either side of this passage. And then he gets to this passage, which is one of only two places that he uses the word transformation. The other passage we're going to look at in just a second. This change idea that he transforms us. Okay, let's take a quick look. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer y'all's bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you didn't just slit the throat of the animal, put it on there and burn it up. You would mix things together and you would burn them all together. And so Paul says the way to be transformed is actually to gather together and all of you offer yourself up together as a living sacrifice. And then he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, in the Roman world, there was a specific cultural pattern. It was to be together and united as a people, but be always vying for higher positions, always be trying to outdo one another and climb the social ladder. Paul says, don't be conformed to that pattern. You can see why in the context here. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your, and we normally think of this as minds, plural. Wrong. Mind, singular. The mind of Christ that is found in Philippians 3 and 1 Corinthians to Paul wants us to have the mind of Christ singular. And he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. 
Now, there's so much going on here because when we talk about the transformation of the mind, and we're going to talk about this in application in just a second, we think of the transformation of the mind and we think, oh, it's all about learning new stuff, learning new ideas. But no, there's more to it than that. There is a corporate thing. There is a submissive attitude to God's will and submitting to him. And more than that, Paul humbles himself and says, hey, by the grace of God, I say, don't think of yourself too highly, but think of yourself in, in accordance with the measure of faith God has distributed to. He's going back to chapter one where he talked about the faith relationship that they have with each other. So even though we're going to talk about this and apply the mind subject, we have to realize that there is so much more going on here. This is not about us bragging about how much we know as Christians, which is a real problem in Christianity and has been over the years. Okay, third passage before we hit our last two and then go to application. This passage is a mind blower. This passage is a game changer. Get this. Moses comes down off the mountain and he has been in the presence of God and his face is a light. It's glowing. The people actually say to him, look, this is spooking us out. Cover your face up. We don't want to see the presence of God. But the covering hides the fact that it's fading, just like a coal that falls from a fire begins to fade. Moses comes down and it fades. Paul says, guess what? As Christians, our face never fades. Our face never fades. And why? Because we have the Spirit of God living within us. Now that's exciting enough, isn't it? That's exciting enough. But there's something more going on here. He's saying, when he says the Spirit is in us, he says, the Spirit has written you on my heart, right? You are written on my heart, not with ink, but with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit in Paul's heart is them written on his heart. That's what makes his face glow. And so as he moves on in this analogy, he ends up saying that all of us with unveiled faces are like mirrors shining the glory of God off each other. The presence of God is coming together corporately. So now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And we all who, are, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever in increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. We are growing more and more to look like Christ as we come together. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this amazing? So two more passages for us to look at. And glory is going to be our application as well. The one passage is the passage that may have stumped you at times. I, I, I saw this passage years ago and I thought, you know what? This passage is the key to change. This passage is the key to transformation. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Awesome. I rang my friend years ago when I first read this and he said, that's great. How do you walk in the spirit? I was like, uh, crickets, right? <laughs> How do you walk in the spirit? But when it's corporate, it makes sense. You all walk in the spirit and you all will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So that where there's a, a sin problem that's tripping you up, others having the Holy Spirit will be able to step into your life and encourage you and help you. Okay, the last passage is a doxology that you might have seen. There's many other passages, by the way, that we could go to, Philippians 3, etc. But this passage here, look at this. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Again, we read this as individuals, right? May he sanctify you and you and you through and through. No, no. May he sanctify you all through and through. Look at this. May your whole spirit singular, soul singular and body. They are the three parts that make up an individual. So it's not your spirits, souls and bodies. It's your spirit, soul and body. You as a body, as a whole complete body, be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus. The one who calls you all is faithful and he will do it. So, We've done our Bible drill. 
We've looked at these five passages. Can you see this amazing teaching here that's in Scripture? That the transformation that God wants to achieve in our life is the transformation that takes place through the Spirit working in each other. Well, before we go to our application, we, uh, I'd invite you, if you're in groups actually, to hit the pause button just for five minutes and ask yourselves the question, do you think we are too individualistic? Now, not just the, the yes and no answer. You might want to discuss, what, well, are there problems here? Are there problems with becoming too alike? How does this all work together? And that's something you can do right now. Hit the pause button. Otherwise, we'll go to the application. Okay, welcome back to those or welcome uh, continuing if you've just stayed with us. We're going now to application. What an exciting thing for us to do now to actually apply God's word. Like it's one thing to kind of know something, but it's another thing to dig down on it and apply it. Now, remember that our subject here is the subject of change. We've been talking a lot about relationships and you might've been listening to this and thinking, hey, this is a sermon about relationships with God and relationships with each other. Yes, it is, absolutely. But it's all within the, the bigger framework of change. This is the way that God brings change. Isn't, isn't this exciting? I mean, you and I become Christians by coming into a personal relationship with Jesus. And then the Christian life becomes about a whole bunch of other complicated things. Actually, no, it's all about the one simple thing of our relationship with Jesus building and growing and building and growing even as we relate to one another. So our application is about change. And what I want to do is I actually want to pick up on those three circles, faith, mind, and glory. Remember in our three big passages, the faith was covered in Romans 1 and also a little bit in Romans chapter 12, Romans 12 for mind and 2 Corinthians 3 for glory. Okay, what are we going to be doing here? I'm going to be telling you lots of stories unashamedly, because if we're talking about the faith stories of each other affecting one another, I want you to start to hear this, to start to put this into practice. So I'm going to tell you some faith stories here. I'm going to tell you some mind stories, some glory stories. Okay, when it comes to the stories of faith, let me tell you a great story. The other day, the phone rang. I answered the phone. It was a friend of mine who is a, a high-level businessman doing multi-million dollar deals. And he was over the moon. He was excited. He was telling me how he and his partner had got together with his company. They had vied for this special tax credit, one of only two on offer. They'd got it. And then the company had ditched them. This was a few years ago. And then taken up another group of people. And those people had run with it and run with it really badly. They'd crashed and burned the whole deal. They'd burnt the, the tax credits and hadn't used them properly. And my two friends were approached by the company afresh, the company that had backstabbed them, asking if they would come back in on the deal somehow. And he said, you know, we, we thought about it and we prayed about it. And we said, you know what? We need to be godly here and forgive. And we need to be street smart, but we also need to be display Christian character here. So they went back into the deal and they said, on the condition that when we apply for this impossible thing, again, nobody gets it twice, especially for the same project, that we will get it. And that's the only way we're going to do it. So they prayed about it. They went forward and he was just over the moon. He said, they just called us, said, don't bother coming to the meeting this week. We've already given it to you. And so here he is over the moon about this deal, this multi-million dollar deal. And he's calling me up to tell me of his faith story. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? Can you imagine what would happen if he was telling that faith story to other people within the congregation, other people who were in business? Those people would become to be transformed too because they could realize that the Christian faith is not something to be, or the Christian life and relationship with God is not something to be just put on the back burner on the side. No, it's something that should permeate the whole of your relationships. And other people would be, and hopefully even as you're listening, if you're in the business, would be challenged about including Jesus within your story 
of your business. Now, let me go to some other stories here. Uh, my wife recently had a medical condition and it looked pretty scary. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, you've got to get a scan for this straight away. So we booked in for a scan and it was going to take two weeks before we got the scan done. And I said to Rachel, I said, man, this is going to be a horrible two weeks. If this thing goes the normal way that we would expect it to go, um, we're gonna start, we're gonna, it's going to be looming over us all the time. But then we started to tell each other stories about what the Lord had done in the past and how he was faithful. And I said to her, look, the Bible says, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Live for today and deal with the problems of today. So we did and, and we, we humbled ourselves and we asked a bunch of people to pray and we asked these different prayer groups to pray and, and they started to pour encouragement into her life. And the two weeks were just fantastic. She was walking with the Lord. She was displaying faith in other areas. It was just fantastic. She got the test done. The results were supposed to come back Friday and the doctor never called. She called, left messages and the doctor never called. And at that moment, she just broke down. She said, I can't do this. You know, it was like she had been leaning on the Lord in spite of her fears. And then she just couldn't give. And I said, you know what, honey, this is so good. The Lord has stretched you out and he realizes he can stretch you that little bit further and stretch your faith out and increase it that bit further. Let's trust the Lord for another weekend. And we did. The, res the results came back fantastic. Praise God. Now, if they had have come back badly, we would have had a different faith story, wouldn't we? And I know that some people will be, who are listening here, you have got that bad news and you will have a different faith story, but it's still the Lord doing stuff in your life, giving you that faith story that you can share with each other and encourage one another. Okay, a couple of more stories here. My, our first three children have special needs. When our third child was born, we realized that all three of them have fragile X, a genetic condition, which is going to affect them mentally for the rest of their life. They're probably going to be living with us for the rest of their, li their lives. So at that point, my wife and I decided we're not having any more children. Why should we? That would just be foolish to do that. But I just felt over and over again, I just felt this thing like I can't absolutely medically intervene. Now, it was just a personal thing, but it just was kind of on my heart. Little did I know that my daughter, who is disabled, was praying earnestly that we might have another baby. And my wife, six years later, gets pregnant. And you can imagine the thing that we went through for nine months. Are we going to have a fourth disabled child? This is genetic. What's going to happen here? And we came to the point in our relationship with the Lord of handing it over to him, open hands and saying, Lord, if we have to have four disabled children, you know, you understand. And I still remember that day when our son came out and did not have it. We knew straight away from his physical uh, looks and appearance. And I went outside the, the, the operating room and wept and wept with joy that the Lord had allowed us to have two different families. Well, guess what? She prays again. We get pregnant again. We have to go through the whole thing again, six years later. And our next son is also born without fragile X. So we have two families in one. And the Lord's going to be using the faith story of our older children, which I'm going to tell you about more of in a second, in our younger kids. And he's already doing a wonderful faith story within us. Last story. My mom-in-law, my father-in-law fell and broke his hip. Right? They're getting older. They needed to buy a piece of medical equipment, couldn't find it, or it was very expensive. My, my mum-in-law was driving around and she, uh, she's driving past Goodwill and she says, I'm just going to pray that I find it. She goes in, it's not there. She goes to the other shop and she's driving back. She goes, you know what? I'm going to go in again. And there it is. The very product that she was looking for, for hundreds of dollars, she picks up for like $10. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Those are the kinds of stories. Do you want the Christian life to be practical atheism? 
Do you really want your Christian life to be about something other than God? No, we long, don't we, for those faith stories. And if we have the humility to hear those faith stories from others, that will inspire faith in us to trust in the Lord for ourselves. And we too will have those faith stories that we can bring back to other people too. Okay, last point. Oops, sorry, mind. So let me talk quickly about mind, very, very briefly. I think we give too much credit to the mind. I really do. It's about, you know, we think every, part, every other part of our being has fallen but our mind, right? If our, uh, we can think things through straight. Our emotions are screwed up, they're messed up, but you know, our body may be messed up, but our mind's okay. But you know, the Bible actually says that God himself has put a kink in our mind. In Romans chapter one, he says, because they refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a depraved mind. And it's only by coming back to the Lord in submission, Romans chapter 12, that God removes that kink. And that's why that whole Romans 12 passage centers around, even though it's about the transformed mind, it's really about coming and offering yourselves up together as a living sacrifice. So I don't want to say too much more about that, except to illustrate the fact that the Lord is able to use people who are apparently not very intelligent, who have true God-given wisdom, unkinked minds. And I'll just go straight to the story. I'll tell you the one story about my son. This is my second son who loves the Lord. Okay, I'll tell you two stories. One story is that he, I understand the return of Christ through my son. Because one day I was downstairs and one other, someone else in the family said, hey, Jim's up on his bed weeping. So I went up and there he was curled up in the fetal position, a 20 something year old, weeping, sobbing his heart out. And I sat down next to him and I said, Jim, what's the matter, buddy? And he said, I just miss Jesus so much. I just want Jesus to come back now and make me right and make the whole world right. So you can have all the theology about the return of Christ you, you like, but I don't understand any theology of the return of Christ like my son understands it and like his faith has been brought into my life. Another quick story about Jim. We were at this men's breakfast and this is a hilarious story. There were all these kind of high powered businessmen and the, and the subject we were talking about was what are the spiritual disciplines in your Christian life that you use to, to see you know, growth in your Christian life? And everyone went around with all of these technical answers and it got to Jim and Jim goes, well, you know, I just, I just want Jesus to come back and I, I'm just praying and I, I, I'm just looking forward to him coming back. And, and when I do, that changes the way I live in the present. And, and the guy who was leading the thing goes, he's like dumbstruck and he goes, okay, Let's start around the circle again in light of what Jim just said, and let's talk about that. And our whole conversation was turned upside down by my disabled son's mind and wisdom that comes from God. So last point, glory. Whoa, this is a big one. This is huge <laughs> because this is one of those untouchable, unreachable, un intangible ones. You know, we're totally comfortable with telling each other our faith stories. We're totally tell good with the transformed mind, aren't we? But what about when it comes to just people having the fruit of the Spirit, having joy in their life in spite of the trials and, and troubles that come into their life? What about those people? And, and, and how does that work? And how does that affect us? Again, I just want to tell you one story about this about the glory of God. And, and again, I'm telling the story about disabled people, about my own kids here. But I see the glory of God whenever we have communion with my son. My son, because it's visual, he's nonverbal. 
but he's sitting next to me. If ever you want to get excited about communion, sit next to my son, Josh. He's sitting there and as they're getting the elements ready, he's kind of bouncing in his chair and he's smiling and he looks at me and he goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then, and then he's getting excited and he's, and he's like, Jesus said to me, come Josh, come sit next to me. So he's not only talking about, remember the death of Christ, but until he comes again and we eat with him in that glorious day. And he's getting all excited about Jesus. He says, Jesus died for me, Jesus died for me. And he is just full of excitement. You're looking around the place, around the rest of the room and everyone's sitting there soberly. And Josh is there inspiring glory in me. There is an intangible element of glory that just exudes people. And sometimes that intangible happens in the midst of the deepest, darkest moments of suffering. Let's not mix up the glory of God shining on our face. Let's not mix that up with someone just being naturally joyful or bubbly. Sometimes the people who go through the deepest, deep-seated problems are those who have the greatest shining faces of God's glory. And we need to let those things shine in our midst. So what I wanna say in conclusion here, what have we been talking about today? We've been talking about a couple of really exciting subjects about change and about the Holy Spirit. It might feel like this has been a talk about relationships. It has been. Because the awesome thing is that the whole change process in the Holy Spirit doesn't take us away from our relationship with God and doesn't take us away from our relationship with Jesus and doesn't take us away from our relationship with each other. And our relationship with each other doesn't take us away from Jesus. Do you get that? I'd love you to take that away. You know, the exciting thing about all of this is that you and I always have something to bring to the body of Christ. Sometimes we can feel kind of useless within the body of Christ. Like, ah, uh, everyone else has got the gifts. Everyone else has got this. But you know what? The newest Christian, the person who's just become a Christian already has a faith story that they can bring to others. And as they hear from others their faith story and as they bring other stories of faith and, and other pieces of God's glory, then they will see the transformation of the body. That is what we want to see, isn't it? Amen and amen.